0: Welcome to Awaken, a podcast about being awake in today's world. I am so, so, so excited to share this conversation. It's a chat with Lama Rod Owens and Kosen Greg Snyder, both of whom have been on the podcast before. It's about patriarchy. It grew out of a retreat that the two of them led in 2016, entitled Undoing Patriarchy and Unveiling the Sacred Masculine. It was a retreat for men, and while that might sound a little strange, it was basically a space for all of us to look at the ways that we were embodying patriarchy and start to explore what freedom from that might look like for ourselves and for all the people in our lives. So this conversation happened a couple years after the retreat in 2018, and it explores a lot of the topics that we covered that weekend, as well as where the two of them are now in this work. So I'll leave it there, hope you enjoy it. I'm sitting down here with um, Greg Snyder and Lama Rod Owens, two of our amazing founding teachers. And to set the scene, we're actually where we were two and a half years ago when these two teachers ran an incredible retreat entitled Undoing Patriarchy and Unveiling the Sacred Masculine. And I wanted to start our conversation where we did on that first day. And I was really kind of shocked, you know, coming into a retreat on patriarchy and talking about men and really talking not about what we should do differently, but talking about where it was in our lives that patriarchy was oppressing us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'd love to hear from both of you, what is it that causes patriarchy to oppress men and why do we need to start there?
1: Well, I was just doing a men's group in Durham We did, it was like just a two-hour gathering. Um, It was about 22, 23 men. It was beautiful. And then at the end, you know, we were going around, um, people were sharing, offering feedback, and one of the men, you know, offered something that I intuitively knew but had never articulated in that way. But he was like, you know what, this work is calling us to be more than just allies. It's calling us to actually go into ourselves and take care of ourselves. Yeah. And he was like, that's what's going to create sustainable change, Mm -hmm. you know, is actually healing ourselves and doing this work with other men. And then working with women, not for them to do our work for us, but to have them kind of reflect back the work we still have to do for ourselves. You know, and I was like, wow, that was actually really opening Mm -hmm. for me, you know, because sometimes I get really lost in trying to figure out (laughs) what this work is. But that was it for me, even though I forget the question.
0: <laughs> the question. No, that's, that's right along the same lines. Uh, is why do we need to start with our own suffering? Correct.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I knew I was going somewhere with
1: this. <laughs> and so that reflection actually helped me to think about the ways in which we actually have to take care of our own suffering first if we want to impact these larger systems of violence. You know, And that work is slow- and it's monotonous, but it's lasting. And that's what I believe in doing this work. I just think that's what I'm committed to doing. Like I want to do more than just show up. I want to actually change, you know, the ways in which I'm violent towards well myself and others.
2: Yeah, I was, I'm, when you asked that, I thought about something that, um, that I read in Bell Hooks, The Will to Change, and she has, um, she had this sentence that just pivoted me completely. Mm-hmm. Which was, she said, in patriarchy does not allow for the love of boys, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was a you know it's exactly to your point. It's something intuitively mm-hmm. I understood, mm-hmm. but no one had ever said it because mm-hmm. the opposite actually gets said mm-hmm. that men are revered in patriarchy, mm-hmm. and and there is true if you're a certain kind of a man, you are revered mm-hmm. and you're celebrated. Mm-hmm. But the fullness of a boy is hated Mm -hmm. until they become the man that is then revered. Mm -hmm. And that is the trauma of being forcibly cultivated into a patriarchal man has to be dealt with. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: We have to actually deal with that in ourselves because we don't, we can't be gentle with each other. We can't, we can't be gentle with anything. Mm -hmm. We can't love anyone. We certainly can't love other men.
1: Yeah.
2: It's just disallowed. And the somebody said to me recently, well, from the outside, it looks so much, especially white men, it looks so much like you're so loyal to each other. And it's like, yeah, in a kind of war sense, yeah. the way soldiers are loyal yeah. to each other, the yeah. way people defending privilege are loyal to each other, yeah. but not loving. Yeah. That's not the kind of bond that's there, yeah. you know, in this gentle, open, vulnerable way where you can actually... How many men go to women when they're really emotionally raw, and why? So I think there's, um, I don't see any way, I actually don't see any way at all to undo the domination frame of our society without dealing with the wound of being dominated as little, tiny, vulnerable beings. I don't see, I can't find any way there that doesn't feel like brute force Mm -hmm. and the same thing over and over again. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and
2: Bell Hooks also uses this phrase, the psychic mutilation
1: of boys, which is like, it's so brutal. And it's even more brutal when you reflect on the ways in which, you know, well, for me in my experience, I've been mutilated, the ways in which I've been violently, conditioned not to do certain things. And that conditioning continues. Yeah. Actually, I mean, that conditioning actually came very strongly from my mother, you know, so I wasn't raised around a lot of men. Which yeah. Bell talks about that, too. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly that, that gender that patriarchy has no gender. Yeah. But that deep mutilation, even being revered, isn't the same thing as being loved. Amen. <laughs> You know, like we revere a bunch of people, but we don't love them. We don't want them to be happy. We want them to do something for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want them to be a symbol. We want them to support us. But when they step outside of what we need them to do, or want them to do rather, you know, then we, we retaliate. Um, I see it over and over again, particularly in social media, mm-hmm. you know, where these men that we revere on one hand, and then they do something really vulnerable. And then, like, people just attack them, especially women. So that mutilation continues throughout our whole lives until you actually learn how to consciously address it and step out of it and say, you know what, I'm going to do this. And whatever comes, comes. Whatever happens, happens. You know, because we have to reclaim our humanity.
2: You know, it reminds me of the conversation we were having before Mm -hmm. we started recording around um, looking at how much we work and this really gets turned up. This gets very confusing when you're in a leadership position, yes. because the expectation to be the patriarchal leader is so strong, mm-hmm. and the expectation that there that somehow you have these limitless shoulders that can mm-hmm. be piled onto until mm-hmm. you just <clears throat> collapse is it's just there, and mm-hmm. um, and to stay in a to stay in an upright space, Mm -hmm. but also to actually stay in a vulnerable space, Mm -hmm. which, you know, when I look at my own internalized patriarchy, I'm not that great at, you know, I I am more inclined to take it on Mm -hmm. because that's my training. Because not only is it patriarchal, it's Mm -hmm. a German Protestant patriarchy, which Mm -hmm. is just, you just work until you die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and that's the moral, that is the moral life. Mm -hmm. So looking at that, I mean, looking at the way we do that, not just with ourselves, but the way we do it in communities that are supposedly working on these things, the way we still, and to your point, and act this, we don't see the little boy in men. Yeah. You know? We, In the same way, and not to, in the same way that we refuse to see the victim of misogyny in women, the little girl in women that had, that had to deal with misogyny all the way up through their entire development. We have to... We have to be able to see that when we're looking at each other, and we have to be able to see the boy that had emotionality beaten out of them mm-hmm. in every grown man. And when they're acting in certain ways that seem absolutely stupid, we cannot forget that.
0: You mentioned the inability of men to feel close to other men mm. um, as one of the effects that men you know, feel in patriarchy. Mm. Um, what are some of the other ones? We talked about things like inability to feel sadness, and mm-hmm. um, for me that's really a lot my practice right now is just as a really primary practice, holding space for my own sadness, mm-hmm. um, and intimacy with other men. Uh, I loved your comment about men always running to women whenever mm-hmm. they have <laughs> strong emotion, right? And, and it's um, with the more intersectional frame, there's really, men really have to end up running to their primary relationship if mm-hmm. they have one, and most of the time to deal with strong feelings. So I'd love to hear more. What are the specific effects that you all feel within patriarchy and that we can hold up as examples we can show to men who were asking the question, well, how does patriarchy actually oppress me?
2: Mm -hmm. So one of the things that comes to mind listening to you is men who don't have a primary partnership are high risk.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: They're extremely high risk for violence toward themselves Mm -hmm. and others, but especially toward themselves, Mm -hmm. because then there's no outlet for dealing with with I see that even in my own sangha. So there's that. And I mean, there's so many things. You bring up sadness. There's a whole range of emotionality. Mm-hmm. It's not just sadness. It's authentic joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's all kinds of emotionality that's about connection that makes me... Um, two things come to mind that make me feel the vulnerability of my um, dependence on life. And trust. We don't trust each other. Yeah. We don't trust each other, and we have very good reason mm-hmm. not to trust each other. Mm-hmm. And I've said this in other situations before, and it's true. You know, The, the people who have caused me the greatest harm mm-hmm. are white men. They're mm-hmm. the ones who have physically abused my body. They're the ones who have humiliated me, scared mm-hmm. the hell out of me at every mm-hmm. turn. I mean, that's who, I, that's who this body is afraid of. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And not unwisely. Yeah so Mm -hmm. that is a wisdom of a body that had experiences that is trying to learn how to protect itself so how do I um, how do I feel into that how do I take responsibility Mm -hmm. and I think we all need to take responsibility for my traumas Mm -hmm. and if I can't take responsibility for my traumas then I can't trust you and if I can't trust you then there's a whole then most people in society I can't connect with Mm. but if you were going to ask the one thing that I think um is the, is the primary symptom of patriarchy. It's connection,
0: mm-hmm.
2: inability to be connected. Yeah. To experience all this isolation,
1: yeah. this sense of, like, we don't need anyone yeah. to do anything. <laughs> you know, we're self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you get thrown into this ideal of being, like, uh, the head of the household or, like, the provider, <laughs> which men in my life are stuck in that. I know someone, you know, close to me who, you know, who's a family member, who's, you know, experiencing a lot of depression, you know, and I was talking about it with my mom. My mom was trying to support him. And one of the things that, like, I was trying to communicate is that what he's experiencing is being completely, like, divorced from this belief or this kind of promise that he, at this age in his life, should be, like, on top of everything and he's not, mm-hmm. you know? And you're there supporting him. And that has an impact for him. You know, this really is a emotional impact that he's a failed man. Yeah. you know, And a failed man is a very dangerous man. And I think these kind of men, although kind of men who are radicalizing right now to reclaim their patriarchal spot, they think that they have to commit these acts of violence. And it's getting worse and worse. And one of the things that this country will cannot admit is how white men are the prime terrorists in this country. I'm just looking at Don Lemon, dude just this week just made a side comment on TV, on CNN, about that same thing, how white men are actually the terrorists in this country. And then people just lost it. Mm-hmm. You know? And then on the other side, people are like, but look at the statistics. <laughs> Look at the violence that's happening. Like, how many armed gunmen have been white men? All of them. (laughs) You know, except for, like, maybe, like, I think maybe two in the past couple of years. But, like, overwhelmingly, women aren't doing this. And men of color aren't doing Yeah. There's probably two or three in the last 30 years that are men of color. Yeah. You know, and, like, we can't... Patriarchy can't even allow us to admit that there is a group, uh, a a segment of our society, that actually needs really severe intervention right now. But that's the last group that's going to get it. So that kind of, like, bypassing of our own pain and not actually having the resources to take care of that pain is actually quite dangerous. And that's, you know, it's also been my experience. So it's been, like, a learning for the past... I guess 15 years or so, you know, particularly with the help of like meditation, you know, loving kindness practices, you know, in particular, it's like kind of trying to restore my empathy with myself. And I still have a lot of work to do, absolutely. You know, I'm trying to model that work for other men. I read this quote a couple of years ago that went something like, men create elaborate rituals in order to touch themselves and to touch each other yeah like football football <laughs> yeah. you know and i see it and you see comedy shows or whatever sketch shows like riffing on, on that quite a bit but i was like that's very true it's like we have to create these intense things in order just to touch each other in a way that we won't be accused of being gay yeah but it's what we want we want to be close to each other, we want to be intimate with each other. Not sexual intimacy, but you just want to be close and to feel that you're in connection and emotional intimacy with another man because you feel so alone.
0: Patriarchy really cuts out that in-between space of intimacy that doesn't need to be sexual. Yeah. And, you know, for many people, even what that exploration might look like in all all the different ways it could be explored. It's just totally off limits.
2: You know, one of the tragedies I've had to accept about patriarchal conditioning with myself is accepting the reality that no matter how much work I do, I will probably never fully cross that space. It is such brutal territory. It's almost as if it was brutalized so young that it wasn't allowed to grow in the first place. So it wasn't like something grew and then was squashed. Mm-hmm. It was never permitted. Mm. So to then try to understand a territory that was never permitted, there's not a lot to work with there. So you kind of you kind of go out into the void a little bit and try it out and you see, and some men you trust to do that with you and some men you don't, but it's not, um, and It's not just with men. I mean, this is where I think the wound is profound. Is you know, I look at I look at my um, at children and the way they just hang all over each other. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, that just stops at some point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's really clear that it's mm-hmm. supposed to stop, mm-hmm. and it and in a thousand ways it stopped, and mm-hmm. and it's almost as if. There's no way of understanding how to get back, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that's a real tragedy
1: mm-hmm.
2: because it's not every culture in the world, although it's increasingly become every, becoming every culture because we are wiping out
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: the indigenous cultures for whom that was not the case. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, just speaking of norms, in, in India, men will hold hands. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally normal. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I know, it's true. Yeah. yeah. And when you first go to India, you see that's really striking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one thing we did in the first workshop in North Africa men sit holding hands with their legs interlaced while they're talking to each other. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Well, we did that that weekend. Yeah. That was actually what we closed with the second yeah. Yeah. day. Maybe it's worth explaining what that
2: was, that practice was. Your knees are interlaced, your legs are actually interlaced, your where legs one interlaced. leg is between the other two of the other. So you're very close. Very close. Mm. And then you had the option whether to hold hand, actually hold hands with right. each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which that alone, (laughs) if nothing were to be said at that point, (laughs) is striking. Yeah.
0: It was striking. I have a very clear, clear uh, memory of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was deep. It was a deep memory. I remember the look in Christians, the person that I was partnered with, in Christians' eyes and how bright they were and how intimate the moment
2: was. Yeah. It was really transformative. I remember at one point, if you remember this when we were at the Buddhist conference and the three of us were in the panel, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and you turned to me, do mm-hmm. you remember this? You turned to me at one point and you were, you were introducing me. Uh-huh. And he did something that was enacting this, right? He puts his arm on me and he holds my hand as he's trying to introduce me. And then there, there was this immediate <laughs> that came up, right? Yeah. And then I said, actually, I don't care about this. Yeah. <laughs> and then it settled back down. But the conditioning still <laughs> came up, yeah. you know, of like, we're not supposed to do this in front of all these people. Mm-hmm. And, then it, and then you realize, actually, you don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. And it right. settles back down. But it is an interesting yep. thing to see what public contact does yeah. to the body. Yeah. Because the violence has been constant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So you're under threat at that moment. Mm-hmm. You're really, truly under threat yeah. at that moment. Yeah. It's not an imaginary thing. Mm-hmm. You know, what we're talking about doing, this is why I always say about any of this undoing work, yeah. you know, when, when, undoing, when white people are doing undoing whiteness work, they are risking exile by their own families. <sighs> mm-hmm. It's yeah. not just some imaginary thing of like, oh, I'm going to give up my privilege. Nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real threat. So there's this undoing patriarchy work. It's a real threat.
0: Yeah, I, I was walking down the street with a close friend of mine, an Indian friend of mine, mm-hmm. and we were just giving around and ended up holding hands for a block or two, mm-hmm. and afterwards we were just like, whoa, we need to process what just happened, because we could just tell everyone walking by us. Yeah. Energy was so different. Yeah, of course. And it was like, you know, just to be able to like move, and this was in San Francisco, <laughs> but to be, able to, to be able to move into that space yeah. and just experience what that perception is like in San Francisco in the yeah. mission, yeah. you know, yeah. uh
2: was wild because here you don't read as indian men yeah. you read as gay men yeah or you gay know.
0: indian men <laughs> 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 to be fair is a rare thing yeah. in uh in people who are feel comfortable coming out but. yeah i guess now maybe it's time to move into uh what effect this has in the world right we've talked about how yeah. uh we have an inability to experience intimacy and that mm-hmm. sounds sad mm-hmm. but that you know creates really harmful circumstances. How does that happen? What are the pathways that cause that to happen?
1: Well, as Greg was saying, it begins in childhood. Actually, it begins as soon as our, you know, mothers um, or whoever's carrying us, it begins when they find out what genitalia we have. Mm. And then the conditioning begins, which is why we have this movement now of people having babies and not disclosing any of that before the birth. And that's a really good step forward, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in terms of that conditioning. And then, you know, people having kids who they're, you know, giving them gender-neutral pronouns and giving them a little bit of space. But there's always the world outside who's pressuring kids into, like, conditioning. Yeah. So it begins then, and it's just... We get thrown into these ways of being by our families, by our communities. Mm -hmm. We have responsibilities. If we're we're gonna belong, then we need to act a certain way. Or if you don't act a certain way, then you get kicked out, you have to leave. And that's definitely the case, particularly for a lot of homeless youth, they had to leave. You know, uh, they got kicked out, they got put on the streets. Mm -hmm. This is a phenomenon that's happening all over the world. So yeah, I mean, it's media. It's how our friends value certain ways of being, and we get these messages that are like, okay, I have to be a boy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I have to be a girl in order to get love, to get the love that I need. And then you associate this performance Mm -hmm. with what you think is real love. And then you have to go through a process, if you're lucky, where you have to critique that and challenge that and understand what authentic love is, and that you can actually be yourself and receive love which is a really tough journey, but very possible, and many of us undergo it,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, and come out on the other end. The effects on the world, like, I just, like, I just want to point out the recent Kavanaugh. I saw patriarchy very clearly, very directly, very out in the open. It was not being hidden. No, it was being asserted. It was being asserted. And I saw how people were pushing against it. I saw how people were just like, great. You know, men are coming back. We're asserting ourselves. Very blatantly, very openly. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's the patriarchy's effect on the world. It's still this hidden force that permeates everything, just like whiteness. Whiteness and patriarchy go hand in hand, along with capitalism, mm-hmm, you, know, mm-hmm. you know, this like perfect trio. And you saw really all three of those, but definitely patriarchy you know, come up, you know, it's like, this is, you've been put in this place and you're going to stay. Regardless, it doesn't matter if we can prove the violence of a man. It doesn't matter. He has a right to do that. And there's a certain set of standards for him that we're going to agree on and we're just going to be very open about. This white man gets to do whatever he wants.
0: And I guess my question really is, where does that come from, right? How does this sense of disconnection result in that, Total normalization of violence.
2: We organize. It. You know the thing about patriarchal organization. I really do think this is maybe where this is where it comes from, and is even useful in these very specific circumstances. Is war, mm-hmm. right? Hierarchical, emotionally disconnected um, command structures that result in being able to make decisions highly quickly because you're defending. You're terrified, and you're defending your community against another community coming at you we can see where that would be beneficial right Mm -hmm. you need to line people up there Mm -hmm. needs to be loyalty you need to be able to decide on a dime those are not those are not unuseful things to have for human civilization Mm -hmm. we have generalized that structure to everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the state to our economic system to the way we organize the places we work to the way we're in our family so Everything is this kind of warfare emotionally disconnected command structure where everybody just needs to follow and loyalty is above all else. I mean, we really see this in the current administration, right? Mm-hmm. Loyalty above all else, above truth, above yeah. consensus, above mm-hmm. everything. So I think we have a lot of work to do at the societal level of the rightful place of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So Are there places where hierarchy is useful? Yes. Is it needed everywhere? No. When Mm -hmm. is consensus the appropriate thing? When are slow Mm -hmm. processes Mm -hmm. of coming about the right way to do things? Mm -hmm. When is a command structure appropriate? You know, all of these things and actually doing the discernment work and just instead of just, we default to the white patriarchal capitalist Mm -hmm. command structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do everywhere, even if it's going faster than anybody Mm -hmm. can tolerate Mm -hmm. and dehumanizes 99% of everybody Mm -hmm. involved. Mm So in that sense, I think it affects everything now with that said, and everybody with that said, it privileges a very particular kind of person with a very particular embodiment. Mm-hmm. When it's full, when it's in its full blossoming, it looks like the men who are currently in power. Yeah. yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah. It looks like straight white men who are accustomed to Either the military or capitalist corporations, which function, let's face it, the same way. Mm-hmm. So in that case, the primary effect it has is the silencing of the subjectivities of everyone else. Because you don't listen to privates mm-hmm. in a military. Mm-hmm. You don't listen to working class people in that kind of a structure. So everybody, gets, you don't listen to people of color. They're right. a nuisance. And look at the way it's being treated, right, right, by the current administration. These people are a nuisance in the way of us getting the things done we need to get done. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that, and that's the harm it has.
1: And it's easy to get things done when you're disconnected from your body, <laughs> you're disconnected from your emotionality. Yeah. If you can numb that and let the mind just do whatever it wants without the body, it's great. You just charge forward, and as you're objectifying yourself, you're objectifying everyone else around you. So people don't have agency anymore. Yeah. You know, so you do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, so what? You've survived violence. You know, it doesn't get over it. Yeah. You know, we got over ours. <laughs> you know, and that was the message, particularly during the commoner trial. It was like, get over it. This happened when you were 16, get over it. You two are teenagers, get over it. People can change. Yeah. But that's different sets of rules with different people, though. You know, white men get one rule, and then men of color get another one. Mm-hmm. And then it's also how patriarchy continues to perpetuate the binary. There's either only two ways to be, a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be a woman. Women are there for us to subjugate, to classify, to like organize, and to dominate. Mm-hmm. But when you have a spectrum of gender Identifications that ambiguity actually disrupts patriarchy. Patriarchy is about hegemony, clarity, straightforwardness. But when you start talking about blurring that, then that's really uncomfortable. And I see many men just being out in the world, when men see things that are really uncomfortable, I see that terror. Oh, yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> you, know, you see that look, <laughs> you know. Um, and... And you're like wow that's really uncomfortable there's also that space where violence can erupt you just don't know what's going to happen when someone's terrified in that way i think and i have this also this theory that like you know people see that men see other men being free and they see it as a judgment against them
2: or just a judgment against them um chaos yeah yeah Mm -hmm. like if you're there being a full human being i don't even know what that yeah. What is that? Yeah. I need to get you back in order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I have to
1: be in order, you have
2: to be in the... exactly. Yeah. That's why. What... <laughs> yeah.
0: So, what does healing look like? Mm-hmm. What are practices or what are approaches? I mean, how do we heal from this? Maybe individually first, if not
2: collectively. Mm-hmm. But whatever's alive for you. I don't think there is a. Um, I don't think we can do it individually.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I think we have to surround ourselves with men who, just like in the Buddhist community, you have to surround yourself with people who have the same vow. Mm -hmm. You have to surround yourself with people who have the same vow. To think that you're going to sit in your room and do this work and then walk out. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk to couples who work extremely hard on not conditioning their little boys to be patriarchal, and then they go out into the world. Yep. And they start coming home with all yep. of this stuff, and they yep. can't stop it. And they all have this deep sorrow mm-hmm. that they just can't stop the tide. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and so for us as adults to do it, we have to have we have to have communities with at least enough men and mm-hmm. women
0: mm-hmm.
2: involved in um, in letting go of ideas that we have to behave a particular way mm-hmm. as a man or a woman and that takes a lot of that takes, that's a kind of courage. This is the oldest mm-hmm. out of capitalism and white supremacy this is grandpapa. This is where everybody else learned the rules yeah. of domination. This goes to the bone the amount of courage it takes to face this yeah. we need each other. Yeah. Mm. Knowing Ramarad's running around the world doing this work encourages me knowing that you're doing yeah. this, knowing that people are doing this, yeah. it actually allows me to say, okay, there's a space of possibility yeah. mm-hmm. that if they weren't there, it is their being there that yeah. allows me to be. Yeah. Yeah. Without that, it's just strangulation.
1: Yeah. I met a choreographer yesterday on a panel, and he's using dance mm. to do undoing patriarchy work with boys. Great. But the very same way that we're doing you know, here at Brooklyn's Inn, you know, and it was just incredible. People are getting it and using what they've been trained to do in order to get to boys. they are acting people doing this, you know, undoing patriarchy work. You know, there's all kinds of folks. They're like chefs doing, like, these cooking (laughs) programs for boys. It's like, it's unreal, you know. I would love my visions to one day just get us all together. (laughs) People who are really doing this work in their fields with men,
2: yeah.
1: you know, to kind of talk about what that looks like and how we can collaborate. We could do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I'll, I'll add that to the list. <laughs> you know, but the healing, the healing is so, like, I was so, I, I, I'm so fortunate to be gay, you know, because it was my first foot out the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, I was just kind of kicked out of patriarchy. You know, yeah, there were really brutal things that, you know, happened that tried to recondition me, but, like, it wasn't strong enough. Mm. It just it wasn't strong enough to hurt me to keep me. The more it happened, the more I was like, no, this is a... I'm definitely yeah. not staying for this bullshit.
2: Yeah, but you see, know? that's the funny thing. Yeah. You must have known something, because certainly being gay puts a yeah. foot out the door, yeah. but it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed.
1: <laughs> you know, it's not guaranteed. Even if I get completely out the door, I still carry the yeah. system with me i just recreated with other gay men yeah in a way that's even more invisible
0: you were talking a couple of days ago yeah. about um women's bodies yeah. and how you felt free to comment on that well i mean not anymore yeah but, right, right but early on no, that was an incredible moment yeah but if you don't mind sharing that story
1: yeah early on in, like in gay male communities we just feel as if we can do and say whatever we want about yeah. women's bodies because like we love women
0: Right? <laughs> like, we're not, we're not
1: these straight dudes who just, like, want to take advantage of them. We love women. Women are such an important part of our communities, but we were also doing the same thing, things straight men do, you know, which was objectifying their bodies. It didn't matter where that objectification was coming from, it was still objectification. Yes. You know, there was something that I had to learn to not do. But they, learning not to do actually came from the ways in which I had to learn to love my own body and have agency in my own body and have empathy with my own body. And then that allowed me to have empathy with other people where I could say, you know what, I don't like people talking about how fat I am,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) you know, why am I going to talk about like my female friend's breasts, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, and I was like, Oh, I get it. I had to divest from that. But yeah, the healing, like going back to this healing, you have to want to be free. You have to know that freedom is possible. But if you don't want that freedom, or if you don't have the courage to take that, then you get bound in these ways and people die really miserable. This is like anyone who doesn't take the initiative to be who they are, but particularly men, you know? And I've had definitely situations with my father where it was very clear that he would make different choices if he could. And I think sometimes our conflict in the past has come out of me making those choices and how that has been labeled irresponsible. And that's one of the retaliations, particularly from patriarchal systems, is that like, that's like the the gentle one. (laughs) The gentle retaliation is just saying, you know, that's just really not wise. That's just really, you know, shouldn't you just want to get married and like have a family and buy a house? And you know, and I was like, no. Actually. actually, that's not going to make me happy. That's going to actually make me resent everyone. But there's this idea, just as Greg was mentioning earlier, this idea that when we have a duty, mm. there's an obligation.
2: Yeah, there's an obligation.
1: <laughs> if I don't fulfill that obligation to you know, have a home, to take care of a family, to be the breadwinner, to always be violent, always protect what's mine you know, then I'm filled. I'm a failed man. and I had to let go of my valuing of that. I had to let go of patriarchy defining what a man was for me and then redefine what a man was for myself to step into. And that's the work I think we're trying to do. We're trying to give people what they need in order to recreate themselves in a way that's freeing and liberatory.
0: This is the second part of the workshop. It wasn't just called undoing patriarchy. Yeah. It's called Undoing Patriarchy and Unveiling the Sacred Masculine. Do you want to speak to that? I mean, what, what does that look like in today's day and age? Well, just to,
2: maybe to bridge from the first question, which is around healing, into this. I think the first thing that, and this can be for three and a half minutes over a beer in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But just being willing to have vulnerable conversations about what, what it actually feels like to be a man in the world.
0: Yeah.
2: What, do I feel, what does it feel like to live this way? to do exactly as, as Lama Rod said mm-hmm. about, you know, I need to uphold these responsibilities. Mm-hmm. and So many men feel like they're constantly caving in. Yeah. And they're fighting this caving in feeling, because they have to do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. And um, to be able to just give voice to that mm-hmm. and say it, and be vulnerable, and actually be vulnerable. You know, this is a little bit of an aside, but this habit has started happening around the word fragility. In yeah. social justice circles, where it's used as a kind of um, sneer, white fragility or male fragility or whatever, mm. you need to stop that. Mm. Because, yes, white people are unnecessarily fragile because they are not used to dealing with race. Yeah. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. And there are other forms of fragility that come from actual trauma that show up mixed in with that. And yes, men have an unnecessary fragility because they're not having to deal with their gender. And when they're asked to, they get very angry and fragile and fight it off. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's a fragility there that comes from histories of violence, being beaten by their fathers, everything else, Mm. where when that's, when you start to challenge the very things that they've upheld in order to deal with that trauma. Mm you know these patriarchal expressions are in some ways adaptive strategies Mm. to just deal with the fact they've been so deeply harmed so to challenge it and expect and whiteness is a strategy to deal with the fact that people were so deeply harmed that's an aspect of it too so to just swat it away like an annoying mosquito we can't Mm -hmm. condescend to people's vulnerability and fragility or we are enacting patriarchy Mm -hmm. without question So that's a space that I think we need to get a whole lot better about caring for. And without just letting white folks go on and on and on and, and cry, every, or, or men cry every time they we talk about race and gender, that's not helpful, you know. But uh, but at the same time, it's a tender space. So yeah. so there's that piece of the healing work. But then you said I was supposed to bridge into another question.
0: <laughs> You're supposed to do whatever you want to do. But yeah. but you know, I think I think I'm certainly still very curious. I don't think I'll ever stop being curious about what the sacred masculine
2: is. Oh, the sacred masculine. You know every time I think of the masculine, because we always have this conversation, do we even use masculine feminine anymore? Um, And it's legitimate. It's a legitimate question. This is why I actually think of Franz Fanon, right? Mm -hmm. So so Fanon said something really clearly that I think of in terms of strategic process, which is when you're colonized as an African person, Mm -hmm. the Africanness of who you are has been completely gutted Mm -hmm. and lost to history Mm -hmm. in certain ways for some people. And blackness, the colonized blackness has Mm -hmm. been put on you. Mm -hmm. You can't reach back Mm -hmm. and pull something forward. So you have to find a way to affirm the colonized identity as a bridge and as a pathway into realizing something that is not that. So for him, he said something that I think is so important. He said, I'm paraphrasing, but basically blackness is not ontologically true. Mm. But it's historically true. And we need to take it seriously as a societal and historical thing that we need to work through. This is exactly the same as these gender designations, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, they're not ontologically true. Mm -hmm. But to think that their lack of trueness in the metaphysical transcendent sense means we can ignore them historically is not correct. You know, we actually have to work through the fact that we have internalized... I've internalized a masculine identity. So, what do I do with that? Yeah. I don't just say it's not there. <laughs> I, have mm-hmm. to, I have to do the work of that becoming more tender and more gentle and more open and more, and I do have an inclination. You don't, I don't present, I mean, I'm probably more, if that were a spectrum, I'm probably closer to the middle than a lot of people, but I still present predominantly masculine. So, how do I do that in a way that is, that takes care of my community? No instead of runs roughshod through it like I'm the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I think, what is the sacred masculine? It's a strategy. (laughs) The sacred masculine is a strategy. It's not floating somewhere in space as the true masculine. It's a way of opening up to something that we feel as sacred. Because I certainly do not feel patriarchal masculinity as something sacred. I don't feel fields of broken men, yeah. riddled by war and abuse and yeah. violence and everything else, as as where I want us to end up. That's not the Buddha fields mm-hmm. that I would like to see open up for the world. Mm-hmm. You know, so what are the Buddha fields? What are the sacred fields of men? And that's, we have to move into that direction.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree <laughs> with that. I just want to be connected and healed. Rather, what I mean by healed, I want to be connected and loving and spacious. And um, I want to do have the capacity to do emotional labor. Yeah. You know, I want to create, not destroy. I want to collaborate, not erase. You know, I want to honor and celebrate, not bypass. Um, and I wanna be in communication with those who hold the sacred feminine, yeah. you know, as important for them. I think one of the things that I was nervous about at the beginning of this work is, was the pushback that I got from folks about, you know, there's no such thing as the sacred masculine. Cause that's an expression of trauma. Um, we've conflated patriarchy and masculinity together. And I find that in the groups where with, it's just like this is conflated because we actually don't know what a sacred masculine is, but we just know the harmful masculine, mm-hmm. and we just label that patriarchy. And patriarchy and masculinity are two different things, and we have to begin initially with that work. Is separating, you know, both of those things.
2: Yeah, I think your point about, um, I loved everything you just said, Mm -hmm. Um, your point about connecting to the people who are upholding the sacred feminine, Mm -hmm. I think this is so critical that at some point in time, letting the the rush of the fresh water of the wisdom of women into us completely, Mm -hmm. it's already there (laughs) because we've been raised, you know but to really let it live there Mm -hmm. and become a being that um, supports it and that holds doors open. You know, lately I've been thinking about this idea of redefining the word gatekeeper (laughs) and saying actually those of us in privileged positions need to stand by the gate and hold it open. Yeah. (laughs) For people who don't have that, our job is not to do anything actually, but stand by that door and insist that it stays open Mm -hmm. for everyone. Mm -hmm. And for us to also, you know, our expression in the world, we have to take care of ourselves as men and each other as men, but we also have to hold, we have to hold that door open for women and for men who don't express patriarchal masculinity and make sure everybody can walk through that door mm-hmm. and insist on that day in, day out, day in, day out. Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you both so much for this conversation. This has been amazing. Thanks for listening. If you want to support us, first and foremost, support our teachers. Follow them on the various platforms, donate to them, and let their teachings into your life. Let them transform your life. Other than that, we would totally appreciate a like or a follow, uh, a rating on whatever platform you are listening on and sharing this with whoever you think might benefit from the conversations. Thanks again and catch you here next time.